Oliver Dixon on SAFM. It is 8 minutes after 10 a.m. Good morning, South Africa. My name is Oliver Dixon. You are listening to The Talking Point. This is the middle hour of the show. Like I said, we're going to be having a conversation this hour about the challenges that SMMEs face uh, in its growth journey, but as well as in its ability to be an employment catalyst, particularly employing the 70% young South Af- 70% of young South Africans who are out outside of employment. The vast majority who are not employable either. An interesting survey uh, done by Youth Capital found that there are certain gaps that exist between SMMEs and its growth and employment ability. The first gap being uh, that there's a skills mismatch between what SMMEs are trying to achieve versus the skills that's available amongst the unemployed young people. The second, they found that prioritizing hiring practices is a gap as well, but more importantly, that the necessary incentives, particularly government incentives, uh, are either not enough or misapplied. What do you make of this conversation? I want you, as 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 perhaps an unemployed young person, just maybe perhaps as an unemployed person altogether, and yourself as an entrepreneur, thinking about your own growth journey, I want you to be a part of this conversation. Give me a call. The number to dial is 86 0 Very interesting panel that I have with me. Kristen Duncan-Williams joining us on the line. She is the project lead at Youth Capital. Uh, Kekeleto Kena, who is an entrepreneur, social activist, is in the studio with us. Thank you so much for coming in, Kekeleto. Thank you. As well as Leon Lowe, uh, the founding president um, of the Free Market Foundation, uh, but also currently with uh, Iswilami Found, uh, Freedom Foundation. Leon, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really, really do appreciate it. My pleasure to be with you and the fellow panelists and the listeners. Let's start here. Uh, I want to start with you, Crystal. Thank you so much for joining us as well. Tell us about this survey and tell us about those uh, gaps that have been identified uh, within the survey as having existed between small, medium enterprises and its growth and hiring potential. Thanks so much. Um, and yeah, thanks. Hi to the fellow panelists. Um, so we at Youth Capital are a, a youth-centered um, advocacy campaign um, to really highlight the challenges that young people face from from their journey or journey of learning to earning. Um, and what we we really wanted to do with this piece of work was to focus on the employer side. So a lot of our conversations have been with um, the young people in our networks um, but we haven't actually spoken to employers and said why are you struggling to hire young people Um, you know why is it that we often hear that you can't find the right candidate Um, and we really wanted to understand from from the employer side what that looks like and so that's really where where the survey was born from Um, you know in the same way that we're always saying to employers hire young people hire young people um, have we really sat and listened to what their challenges are? And we hope that the, the Bridge the Gap report begins to do that. Yeah. Uh, so so within the survey, what were the sets of questions that you would have asked uh, a number of these businesses that you spoke to? And what were the common responses you received? Sure. So we did it in two parts. You know, we had some focus group um, discussions where we had businesses in person and really we just had a conversation and the, the conversations were guided by two two um, questions, really. What were your 
successes with hiring young people and what were your challenges? Um, and then using those in-person discussions with, with, with small and medium business owners, we then crafted a, a survey that was shared online for any businesses to complete. Um, and around 50 businesses completed that. And we, there we asked questions, um, the same sorts of questions. Um, you know, what are the skills that you look for? What are the skills you struggle to find? And then another big component we, we looked at were the incentives. You know, there are a number of government incentives like the employment tax incentive, um, you know, trying to access funding from various seaters, these things which exist um, in, in principle to help businesses to be able to hire or further train young people. Um, but we kind of had had a feeling that they weren't really working for for small and medium um, businesses. And so these were the questions um, that we focused on. And I think, you know, you've touched on some of the key findings in in introduction there. But, um, you know, in a nutshell, small businesses want to hire young people. They see the value. Um, They want to grow their business. Um, Obviously, more staff means that the business can grow more. They see that young people can bring innovation. They bring energy. um, But they really struggle with finding, you know, the right candidate from very uh, technical skills. So saying that, you know, various CETAs um, and TVET colleges don't provide the actual practical skills that businesses need um, to the so-called soft skills, you know, communication skills or basic things around understanding leave practices in in the workplace, just how to show up, how to write an email, these very basic things. Um, And then lastly, that these government incentives um, are not really accessed by small businesses. Either they don't know about them or when they attempted to try to get access to it, um, they just found, you know, the process way too laborious, too much red tape and kind of gave up. Um, So I think that's kind of the the findings in a nutshell. So the skills that are being sought after and the skills that are missing are not particularly hard, super technical, highly uh, inaccessible skills. It's basic things such as soft skills, such as how to knowing how to communicate, knowing how to write and receive and read a letter comprehensively, knowing how to turn up for work, knowing uh, you know business practice etiquette. Those are those the sort of skills that are missing. Yes, and you know, um, I think uh, another key thing that we've done in the report is a short little learn and do section because uh, what um, some small businesses are just shocked by is that young people don't even understand how to apply for leave or how leave works or how sick leave works. Um, You know, like notifying your line manager or Mm -hmm. applying in advance. These basic things that many of us take for granted. For a young person who's grown up in a household where nobody's employed and has never had a work experience before, you can understand why those things are, are, are misunderstood you know um, the last stats which are a little bit outdated now um, have it at that two in ten young people live in households without an employed adult um, we're patiently waiting for the next census to see where that number sits now but you know imagine living in a household where you don't have a model of what it looks like to be employed mm-hmm. um, and so obviously young people are showing up in these workplaces really pretty clueless um, and small businesses don't have a big HR team to to kind of support that transition for that young person. And often that's where already um, things begin to fall fall down. So um, we've, we've got a little learn and do section in our report that's just, you know, five tips for, for a small biz or medium business owner to, to go through with a young person when, when they join uh, the company. This is interesting. Gekulitz, I want to bring you in here. Uh... Crystal argues that some of these incentives, young small businesses apply for, and they're like, ah, it's just too laborious. The red tape is insane. I'm just not going to participate. Um, as an entrepreneur yourself, uh, what what 
exist in your mind when it comes to a government incentive program existing somewhere perhaps and just like this might be beneficial to me if i can get it but then realizing that from a process um a participation perspective it might not be the easiest for a small business owner for an entrepreneur perhaps running a solo ship looking at a growth prospect but realizing that it's this needs a big team for instance or this needs lawyers this needs accountants or whatever the case may be and i can't afford those people I'm I'm tempted to actually agree with her uh, completely because we always talk about how the state says to entrepreneurs that we have created this amazing environment for you. Um, however, how things like funding and funding models are not they're not practical um, for the entrepreneur to be able to access. Mm. Um, there is this incentive, uh, I think, that sits, that sits with SARS um, that enables you to be able to claim back, I think, about 50% of what you pay young people. Um, but then you need to be vet registered to be able to then sure. claim that back. So it means that you need to be at a particular threshold. You're looking at what, a million? It's a million rand. Right. You're looking at a million to be able to access that. So it doesn't quite make sense for us. It's like, okay, we need these young people and they are out there and we can bring them into the business but we can't actually do that. So we've always argued that the way that the state structures support for SMMEs, um, let's put it this way, the way the state structures support for small businesses um, does not make sense. Um, they make these decisions without really consulting small businesses in terms of what it is that they need to be able to grow. Uh, do you think, uh, Leon, that we're being unnecessarily convoluted about processes, structures, skills, regulations, and all of these sort of things when it comes to small businesses and perhaps even micro enterprises and its employability potential? Um, I would imagine that if if I started a window cleaning business tomorrow and I went to every apartment building in my on my street, there are many of them. And I said, the high-rise windows, I'll clean that for you. And I start doing that myself and I get a lot of bookings and I hire my cousin and I hire my cousin's friend and maybe one of my unemployed neighbors. And now suddenly I have to fill out quota forms. Suddenly I have to fill out, um, you know, uh, pay YE forms. And I have to do all of these processes that might disincentivize me from employing people. Do you think we should just forget about all those things? You know, what you remind me of is a mother sitting, feeding a baby breastfeeding her baby at the same time as she throttles it. <laughs> so this is what the government's doing. You know, mm. it is, that is exactly right. It throttles you when you're trying to start your window cleaning business. And then it says, but don't worry, I've got an incentive for you. So this is like feeding and throttling a baby at the same time. Mm. So the first thing you must do is stop throttling. The government has to discontinue all of the measures that it has that prevent small businesses or even big businesses from operating. Right now, as we sit here now in our town, out in the streets, if you look out of the window, the Joburg City Council is chasing informal traders off the streets, yeah. going into buildings where they don't have the correct zoning and stopping people running small business backyard operations mechanics. So the government where we are right now, the Joburg City Council, is throttling the baby. And then the government comes along and says, but I have an incentive. The incentive is that I'll make the red tape slightly less for you, but there's still a lot. All the labor law, it is difficult, dangerous, and expensive to employ people. Yeah. It, is, it, is, it, is, uh, it is illegal, it's unlawful. Uh, you know, we talk about informal settlements, which is a very nice term for actually a banned, criminalized settlement. Mm. People are not allowed. Informal is, sounds kind of nice. Mm. You know, we, let's be informal. Let's have an informal dinner. 
Now it is not. It is perfectly formal. The settlements are formal. The businesses are formal. They are just banned. It is the criminalized sector. Mm -hmm. And what we need to start by doing is decriminalizing enterprise. Uh, Lawrence Mavundla, the founder of Achib and former president of Black Business Council and, uh, and NAFCOC and so on, wrote a book called Freedom to be Enterprising. So just allow people to be enterprising. And we have many, many laws. I'm sorry to say I don't like to play the apartheid card, but unfortunately here I must. Inherited from apartheid. Let me give you a simple example. If you look outside there, you see a leafy suburb. Look yeah. out the window and you see pretty leafy, historically white suburb. Beautiful jacarandas. Beautiful. You drive past a so-called black area, a so-called township, and what do you see? It is not leafy. It is not green. Barely any trees. Barely any trees. And, and now why? What's the difference? And the answer is they just don't own their land. It's apartheid with us. Yeah, It's apartheid still with us, and the laws were designed, which we still have now, town planning, zoning, building codes, all of these laws, survey laws, deed registry laws, all of them were designed under apartheid for rich, white, leafy suburbs. They still apply now, and they make it basically impossible to upgrade what we call black areas or townships, we used to be called locations. Yeah. And what we then do is we have a whole range of laws, overwhelming, smothering regulations and controls with which you must comply with your window cleaning business. If you do it yourself and you employ your test, cousin. I want, us, I want us to test some of these laws and regulations and speak because some of them are there to protect employees. We need to ask, are employees overprotected in the workplace or um, are these laws uh, throttling the baby? But we'll do all of that on the other side of this. Let's take a quick break. Be a part of the show. Give us a call, 86 I'll repeat that, 86 Tweet me at Oliver underscore speaking. Let's take a quick break. Good morning, good morning, Bra Oliver. Good morning to your panel. Bra Oliver, you know, I've got an issue with these organizations that says they represent youth. They want young people to be employed. But they don't push this thing to say young people, they can use their hands to do something. Like now we hear of this Operation Vala Sonke. Where are the young people? Who is valoring all these uh, uh, potholes? Why are young people not using their hands? pushing the wheelbarrows because it seems everybody wants to be in the office you know rolling on that uh, chair that they sit on running around why are we not having young people being introduced to you know cleaning the community where they're coming from cleaning the crime that is happening in the in the in, the, in their street now there's this thing of when there's load shedding cables are being stolen who is encouraging young people to be part of the community not this thing of saying young people should be working. Where? Where are we building the firms? We are not building any firms. So where are these young people supposed to be working? Oliver Dixon on SAFM. Crystal, is it true that young people want soft jobs and don't want to get their hands dirty? Um, I think um, I was quite deliberate in my language and we are at Youth Capital. Um, we always say learning to earning. What it means to be economically productive is up for, is up for young people to decide for themselves. Um, we should not be saying to young people, you must be employed in an office job. You must be an entrepreneur. You must go and do vocational training. Young people should have a system that supports them to be all that they want to be. 
we often hear from young people that office jobs are often pushed on them by their parents because an accountant or lawyer, a doctor, to many of the older generation seems like a guaranteed ticket to, um, you know, making money and, and creating a life for yourself. And young people say, but, you know, I want to be uh, an artist. I want to be a filmmaker. So there is no one size fits all model. And I think that's the mistake we often make with big programs. It's like young people should be so desperate for money and so desperate for a job that they should take whatever we throw at them. Um, and that's just not the case. So, you know, I think we can make these opportunities available to young people. And there are many young people who are passionate about the green economy. Um, there are lots of public works programs that are focused on young people. I know in KZN, there's quite a few that looks at, you know, cleaning up areas, looking at um, maintaining um, rivers and dealing with pollution. Um, so the, some of the things that the caller spoke about are happening in certain areas. Um, but I think we should steer clear of saying to young people they must do a particular job. Rather, we should create a system and equip young people to make an informed choice about the things that they're passionate about and about the things that they are good at. Is there a place for passion, Kigilet? There totally is. Um you can't you can't work where you are not uh, happy i believe very much in your contribution campus looking at who you are as a person and bringing that into the workplace um and i do feel and i, and I hear what the other person is saying but the truth of the matter is that um both the employer and um, the young person it's a two-way street the the young person must be willing to learn and the employer must be willing to teach um, employers must also see it as an imperative for them um, to 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 want to develop young people. It's in their best interest to do that. So I know they complain about soft skills and whatever, but you need to be able to want to put time away um, to teach these young people. But they also must be willing to to be part of the process. I know for a fact that when I was given young people, I was given a list of young people to interview um, for work. And they had an option to work for big companies. Um, and as a startup, um, I just didn't seem as exciting for them. Sure. And I wanted to say to them, but I'm a startup. With me, you have an opportunity to grow, to find yourself and to relax into this role and grow your tentacles and give it your own personal flair. You won't be able to do that in a, in a corporate environment. Yeah. And this is what we as startups are, are offering to young people to say, come work with us. And the truth of the matter is that because we don't have money to pay, you know, big bucks for the skills that we need, we may very well not offer you money, but will give you the time we will give you the growth and if you prove yourself we may even give you shareholding in our business sure. just to retain you because we can't afford to pay you big bucks so there is value in working for a startup and i just wish young people would be seeking out startups um to work in them um so that they can grow because we will give you the experience that you need if you do want to go to to a large corporate in the future the trouble with startups, and perhaps you can answer this in a minute before we do the headlines, is that there's a certain insecurity around it, right? It's like, I don't know if the startup is going to be here in 12 months from now. The big business, I know, is going to be around uh, because it's a proven track record with legacy and, 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 and sufficient capital and enough runway to be able to employ me for, for a long time. But with a startup, particularly a growing uh, startup in a highly competitive environment, I'm not sure that it's going to be there in, 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 in a year or two. Nothing in, is guaranteed today. Um, you look at how companies are dying on a day-to-day -day basis, particularly bigger companies, um, because of what you know the expectations are in terms yeah. of being um, the capital that's required to keep a big business. So nothing is guaranteed. Everything is a risk. Um, it's it's a risk for us to take you into our business. You must also be willing to take a risk, and that's why I'm saying it's a two-way process for both the employer and the young person that's coming into the business.
Yeah. Give us a call 086 triple zero two zero three two zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. Also, uh, send us a WhatsApp voice note on 0614. One zero four one zero seven. I'm in conversation with Crystal Duncan Williams, uh, Kekele Tokena, as well as Leon Lowe. On the other side of this, we continue the conversations. Uh, it's half past ten. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two zero That's the number to dial. You want to be a part of the conversation, Leon? Are young people a spoiled generation when it comes to choosing opportunities and turning down opportunities? Not that we have many. Uh, but seven-year-old me hated every minute uh, of the times my dad would let me hold the lamp for him when he was under the car fixing the car or when we were helping the neighbor put up their uh, window frames. And I hated it. I was like, I never, ever, ever want to work this hard. I'm fortunate enough that I work hard with my brain and not my hands, but I'll be a spoiled generation. No, quite the opposite. We're a smothered generation, or they, the youth, are a smothered generation. You look very young. Yeah, I, I feel young. <laughs> so, so, but thank you, Oliver. Uh, no, it's not a spoiled generation. It's a victimized generation. The level of unemployment for all races, all ages, is higher than it was, say, 30, 40 years ago, and is particularly high. The highest of all, you know, people never talk about this, is young black women. Mm. We're looking at something like 80 or 90% unemployment, almost, almost 100%. So, uh, you know, that these young black women, what do they do? Well, I'm not going to go into that, but what we should say is they are certainly not privileged, they are certainly not advantaged, they are victimized, and they are victimized by, as I say, the mother throttling the baby. And, you know, we have, a, we have an informal sector act in South Africa, policy that's meant to raise the informal sector. While the government passes laws day by day in parliament right now to make it more and more impossible for young people to become self-employed, to get be job seekers, uh, and, and the, the labor law, which we don't talk about. Yeah. The, you spoke about employed people. Well, that's the problem. The problem is unemployed people. Yeah. The problem isn't employed people. We mustn't find ways of making it nicer for employed people because when we do that, we make it less likely that unemployed people will get a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, for example, you were paid here at SABC a million rand a month, well, then the chances of anyone else becoming a broadcaster are less, lower. So the point is we must stop thinking about the employed. The employed lobby, of course, for better laws and better wages and better conditions and minimum wages. But who they're lobbying against is not employers. They're lobbying against informal businesses, against the unemployed. Those are the victims for huge benefits which are heaped upon the employed. We need to understand the conflict is between the unemployed youth, especially young women, and the employed adults, especially men. Mm. <laughs> so, so these are the beneficiaries and the victims are, if I may say again, young black women. It yeah. is criminal, Look, I, absolutely criminal. I understand why certain pieces of regulations and legislatures are necessary. So consider my window cleaning business. I have no idea why this is the example I to use. But consider my <laughs> it's window a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> consider my window cleaning business. Let's say we, we, we get a call from a from a apartment block five floors high. Say, mm-hmm. hey, can you clean the top two floors, mm-hmm. uh, the windows over there? 
and let's say my cousin and my cousin's friend who I employed come with me and one of them fall off the ladder. They need protection, do they not? If I didn't fill out those quota forms and if I'm not compliant, it's a tedious process, granted. But if I didn't do that, they're not protected. They're not covered. They are left to their own demises. In fact, they're left to the goodwill of the company, me. Uh, And if I can't afford their hospital care, for instance, which might be incredibly expensive, the business is left vulnerable. There may be no business left after that. Uh, Surely... those sorts of things are necessary, despite the fact that it costs time, money, and um, may take you away from your core function as, 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 as a business owner. Yeah, you're right. But let's make very, something very clear. Health and safety are a very different position from entry barriers. They, they're not the same thing at all. And uh, if you take, for example, my, my, my favorite area of activity is street trading. Uh, this is an opportunity for millions of people. Lowest barrier to entry. Lowest barrier to entry, but criminalized. Yeah. Now, the point is, when I say to people, what, why does the Joburg City Council have a street trading policy, in fact, a street trading prohibition? Then they say, oh, well, it's illegal immigrants, and they sell drugs, and they ob- obstruct pedestrians. And I say, but okay, nobody tells me that what they do wrongly is trade. It's never trading that's the problem. It's something else. Well, then regulate the something else, litter, whatever it is, but don't interfere with trading. Mm. There should be a public space law, not a trading law. Trading Mm. is not the issue. People should be free to trade, provided to come back to your window cleaning business. They meet basic safety standards. And let me make the point that that's been the law for thousands of years. You don't need legislation for that. Mm. It has always been the law that working conditions have to be safe. Yeah. Do you, you want to add to that, Nicola? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I kind of feel like government has a responsibility to support entrepreneurs. Yeah. And by that, I'm saying if you, if you, for instance, um, go to, um, uh, if you register a business, sure. there should be a consultant there who's going to help you with your COIDA registration, who's going to assist you with the SARS registration, who's going to assist you with all of these things that are necessary. These laws are necessary. We, we agree with that. But provide the support employ people to do that. You go to funding institutions and people are saying, no, your business plan is not proper. And I'm like, okay, fine. Hire somebody who's going to be sitting at that desk, who's going to sit with me, go through my business plan and say to me, this is not working, this is not working, fix this. Or maybe help me to fix it because mm-hmm. you have a responsibility as the state to ensure that entrepreneurship thrives in the country. So support entrepreneurs, make sure that the support structures ensure that there's legal desks um, for entrepreneurs to be able to go to so that they sure. can access the help. So um, let's not get rid of the laws let's just uh, ensure that young people or maybe entrepreneurs sure. are taught and they're supported yeah crystal uh you, you, yeah in your survey did I you speak to did you speak to any of these institutions and say hey do young people actually come to you what are the difficulties that you face with them and not perhaps the other way around uh do young people participate in these processes uh with with any sort of enthusiasm yeah so i mean um you know listening to the conversation i wanted to highlight uh, the one question we asked was as a small or medium business owner, what would you be willing to do to qualify for an incentive, right? Um, and interestingly, half of them said they'd be willing to provide ongoing mentorship or training. But only 30% said they'd be willing to register their business. And only 40% said they'd be willing to be tax compliant. So businesses are more um, more eager to provide the support and training to young people and less, less um, enthusiastic to to succumb to some of these regulations to the conversation. And I think, um, you know, what I wanted to say was we we need to, 
you know, be fit for purpose here. We can't do everything, right? Mm, mm. Um, if we use the throttling a baby analogy that Leon's been using, I'm a mom of two very young kids. And you've got to pick your battles. You can't do everything for that baby to thrive. Uh, it's impossible. So I think we've got to, as Leon says, what are the laws we actually need to keep everybody safe, to keep the country functional, to keep public spaces functional, fine, um, to protect workers, like you say, if you fall off a ladder. Um, yes, we need to collect tax because we need tax for, you know, for the public good. Uh, but what are the things we can let go of? Because actually they aren't helping, um, you know, small businesses to thrive, um, you know, and to the point of support. So I think, you know, one of the comments we have in the in the survey is that, you know, they're a medium-sized um, air, con air conditioning refrigeration company uh, that came to our focus group discussions. Um, and they, you know, they're medium-sized business, so they do have an HR administrative person who can yeah. phone their relevant CETA and follow up and follow up. But they have people who are waiting to qualify for apprenticeships for like over a year, nearly two years, because the CETA lost the paperwork. So now the business wow. is the onus is on the business to resubmit this. And he said this isn't the first time and he knows it won't be the last time. Mm. Um, and he acknowledges that you know, they're in a privileged position to have an administrative person who can do that following up. But you were a one-man, two-man business. You don't have the time to follow up with the CETA, you know, mm -hmm. every week until it happens. Yeah. So young people, they never qualify. They can never, you know, reach their full potential to get that happy uh, level p um, position in their in their various um, fields um, and so we really the, the red tape is exactly you know as others have highlighted just hindering just a quick question process. why do you do you know the sentiments from some of the b businesses that you surveyed around why they are reluctant mm -hmm. to becoming uh, tax compliant or why they would be reluctant to register their business so I think this came up a lot in the focus group discussion we had um, in the Joburg group so um, you know that was one place we kind of heard some of the the text and they they and they just said you know we don't get any benefit we go through all this paperwork right. um you know to to register the business and what do we get we don't get any help from the government you know in return for us registering so what's the benefit it's just a whole lot of paperwork and we don't see any value in our business for doing that yeah. um and so i think that was that's kind a good of point the yeah. sentiment yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, leon if i'm an informal trader and i sell vegetables on the side of the road and i don't see the need to register for anything anywhere uh, but the city of Joburg requires me to have a trade permit and all of these sorts of things. And that trade permit might require me uh, to be a registered enterprise with, uh, you know, C uh, CIPC, uh, all of those sorts of things. Quite bluntly, does an informal trader who sells, you know, vegetables on the side of the road need to do any of these things? No, you're absolutely right. It's ridiculous. We have a draft bill now by law in the Joburg City Council saying that all street traders must be registered and licensed and have a permit and they're going to be a limited number in different areas and so on. But it's completely loony because once they're registered, they're no longer informal. Yeah. So they want to formalize the informal people. Now, the point is that some old illiterate uh, person, uh, frail, wants to sit on the corner selling fruit out of a basket, and now they've got to find out how and where to register. It serves no purpose whatsoever, other than to create a bureaucracy, red tape, and justify sending out this private hit squad called the Red Ants, which the various council use, to go and attack people. Uh, there, was a, there was an informal trader in Yeovil who, when they pulled away her basket of goods, they literally yanked off her finger. Mm. This is our, and they, I was there. They do not wear Jeez. ID. It is, and they go into someone's apartment. 
in Hilbra. They went in and because she was making cushions at home and she didn't answer the door, so they broke it down and went in and she was sitting in the bath. And a whole lot of white officials go in and take away her sewing machine and so on. The cruelty, the inhumanity which is inflicted on people trying to earn a safe, decent, peaceful, honest living by serving people who need them is really ought to be. And, and I've got a quote here by the minister, uh, uh, Stella and Dabeni Abrams, who says, we have too much red tape and regulatory bottlenecks. Well, then discontinue them. <laughs> Stop them. And if I may say one last thing on this point, Oliver, Every state of the nation addressed since Tabo and Becky. Look at them. Everyone says we have too much red tape and it's going to be removed. Every single one. Yeah. There's but not the an president exception. recently appointed and, a and red tape lieutenant? Yes, yes. And, and now what happens thing. is while they are giving that address in parliament, their laws creating more red tape. Mm. It, it's completely mad. Do, do they ever stop and think, is this a contradiction? Do you perhaps find that the people who make these regulatory decisions themselves have no entrepreneurial experience uh, and therefore don't understand the conditions, the journey and perhaps uh, what is needed? I think this is what I said right at the beginning, that the state just does not understand what entrepreneurs need um, and the laws and the support systems and everything that they've put in place. It's so disconnected to what we actually need. Yeah. Um, even when you go to the funding institutions, you find you are dealing with people who have never run as puzzle shop. And so they don't even understand what it is that you are talking mm. about. They don't understand entrepreneurship. They don't even understand what running a business is about. And I think that's where we have a total disconnect. You look at Stella Ndabeni, for instance, as a person. Uh, now, she has no clue about business. Um, we've asked and we've said to them, we've literally given the state um, ideas. We've said to them, go to pick and pay, tell them to create a role specifically for South African made products so that we can give access to market sure. um, to all entrepreneurs. You have them paying your grants, right? Your grants, our grants are getting paid at pick and pay. They're making money um, by virtue of them being the ones that give you the money and you can spend that money there. So tell them that we want one role, just one role yeah. of South African made products. Um, and what then happens is that we will then grow entrepreneurs and we will support them and assist with branding and whatever so that they can ensure that next time they are not on that free role, they're on the next role. We can do that. We can tell Pick and Pay, we can tell Discam, we can tell all of these retailers, mm, but they haven't mm. done any of that. And it's yeah. quite easy. Yeah. Give us a call 086-000-2032. Sam in Lichtenberg. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic. Go ahead, sir. I'm okay. That is an interesting uh, conversation you have in there. I'm always thinking about these things when I'm, I'm a truck driver and I don't even have somebody who I can give this experience that I have to. And now, what I'm thinking about is, when people say they're going to hire somebody who's got experience, and don't give him uh, uh, him or her uh, experience, where is he going to? Now, this is the work of the unions. Because each and everyone was supposed to be, to, to, to be joining a union when he enters a job uh, uh, space. Mm. where the union is supposed to give him this experience that we're talking now. The, the thing is, the other thing is, when I'm not experienced, I'm a young one going into the work, getting a black person who is a supervisor, the only thing that he is going to do is going to chase me so that I must feel, uh, uh, I must feel victimized 
and leave the job. This is how youngsters are not working. Mm. Because when he goes to work, the person who is supposed to be teaching him, in fact, in Ubuntu uh, 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 perspective, if, so, if your son comes to work and I'm the supervisor, I must make sure that he knows exactly what he's going to do there. Mm, mm. I must counsel him. I must counsel him, teach him how to do the job properly. Everything that I was taught, because I myself am a truck driver, mm. I was taught. Ooh, Sam, we just lost Sam's line there. Um, this happens during load shedding. The line just misbehaves. Uh, okay, there we go. Sam, 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 can I pause you there? Can I, stop, Sam, Sam, uh, can, uh, I, can I, I, I pause I, you there? Sam, can I yes, pause you there? Can I just ask that you repeat your last couple of sentences because we lost you there? Yes, I say, I'm a truck driver. I was taught by somebody who is not my father because of his Ubuntu. He taught me everything about truck driving. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in my 50, I'm making 56 years now, the 30th of January. I've, I've never had seen these accidents before because there were uh, 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 assistants who were going to become truck drivers. Yeah. Now, we will go to a driving school, buy a license. After buying a license, you go straight onto the road thinking you know everything. This mm. is why the accidents are so many on mm, the road. Mm, mm. It's Thank- everything, sir. Yeah. Sam, thank you so much okay. for your call, sir. We're going to have to leave it there. Okay, Kelet? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement, and I think this is why I was saying there's, there's a role to teaching, and people must be willing to teach and learn. And when he says there were assistant drivers, so you get a young person to shadow somebody who's been doing the work for a long yeah. time. Um, for, and, I, and I, you know, if I go back, I, I think this was the way that it was done. You had, even in the nursing institutions, yeah. you would have your student nurses going in and shadowing proper nurses. You have your student doctors. This has been the process. And I'm not sure why the current state feels that um, everything that was done previously is wrong. Yes, there were certain laws that we needed to let go. But there are certain things that you look at now and you're like, they are functional and should have been kept. These colleges that the state has gotten away with should have been kept because we would not be sitting with teachers who don't know how to teach. If you look at how teachers were produced, um, there was a process of teaching them and putting them in class and having somebody overshadow them. Mm-hmm. So this process mm-hmm. of mentoring has always been there and corporate mentoring has always been there. I remember when I started work, I started work as a secretary um, at EdCon. And two years later, I was the executive, PR executive uh, for EdCon when my boss left mm. because she had done everything she needed to do to train me. So she went to the CEO and said, no, um, you don't have to interview or hire anybody. Keke Leto knows exactly what needs to be done. And I was literally put into that position. Yeah. So we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to young people to train them and to mentor them. Um, it's difficult, yes, and it's time yeah. consuming, but it is what I call country duty. Yeah, absolutely. Wendy out in Mbombela, good morning. Wendy? Wendy? Seems we don't have Wendy anymore. Uh, Anonymous in Mafiken, good morning. Uh, morning, morning, how are you? I'm fantastic, go ahead. Um, Just two points, guys. Number one, I agree with the The laws are a mess. They are a mess and it's just creating more red tape, more hoops, flying hoops that are on fire that you have to jump through. Because I was thinking this from my side, I was working in banking for a long time, up to 10 years. I got retrenched. Then from there, I had to go back to the drain board. I got into the entrepreneur space. I'm telling you so far, I'm going on four years right now, but I'm telling you, it feels like I should just give up. And then from this, like, uh, guys, these people are just funding agencies and all of these places. They do not know anything. 
of what is going on on the ground. It's mm. like they read from a script, but try giving them pointed questions to say that, okay, you say you want two, three, four, five. You want those things, but how am I going to get those things if I'm telling that I'm facing one, two, three, four challenges? Mm. And it's no mm. use to go to the bank. Same story. Like, mm. it's like, I don't know, you're on your own. Because for me to go into entrepreneurship, I just saw that you've been applying and applying. There are no jobs out there. You have to make your own plan on the ground. Mm. So it, I, I I don't know. It's just a, a big frustration on my side. Like I don't know. Yeah. Because even the even in corporate, I was part of a what you call, um, is it an internship? Whatever they call those things. But one thing that I can tell you, I think I would have rather went to a startup than those big corporates because those big corporates they are just ticking boxes and adding numbers. Mm, I can tell you mm, from my experience, mm. I did not gain much experience because I was the one hounding to get knowledge and whatever. They don't teach you anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's just my personal experience. Thank you so much but for that. Lord, uh, it's just a mess. It's, it's, it's a mess. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Before I go to the next caller, Crystal, I want to ask you this. Are we using the structures and programs of internships and learnerships to f- pacify the employment crisis, but not really solving the employment problem? Yeah, ex- uh, you know, this is another um, point in, in Youth Capital's action plan. You know, there are existing mechanisms you, through the VE programs like the Youth Employment Service, um, the short public works opportunities like the recent Basic Education Employment Initiative. There are lots of um, initiatives um, structured supposedly to give young people that very first work experience where these programs are falling short a lot of the time not all of them some of them are you know doing a good job but we a lot of them are falling short is what happens next mm. um and not equipping the young person through the six months nine months 12 months that you have them and you have them in your grasp to prepare them and educate them and expose them to what is possible beyond that you know a lot of young people's kind of confusion or not being able to figure out what the next step is is because they're not exposed to what is possible Um, and they don't have the social connections to interact with um, the business world enough to figure out like that's what my next step should be this is who I should speak to to try to get in at that company or get the experience or ask for the mentorship right young people don't have the agency or or don't realize to do these things and so these programs are well placed to just enlighten the young person to even ask the right questions Um, but they don't do that or they do that you know in the last month of the program when it's actually too late yeah thank you so much for that Wendy Nambombela good morning Hello, um, Oliver. Thank you now for taking the Now we have you. Fantastic. Call. Go ahead, Hi. Wendy. Um, Oliver, I, I just want to make a comment, um, a comparison between South Africa and, yes, it is a first world country, the UK. My daughter has moved there. And uh, she's on a ticket of her husband's British passport. And on that basis, she's actually a foreigner in a country. But she has to earn money and they have to live. And she has... Uh, a skill which she was able to do with them. She does nails and facials and, you know, she she has a salon. And I was just blown away by the support that she got from the government there. Just the the members of parliament, everybody around her, all the officials, they phoned her up, they came to visit her. Can Can we give you a device? Can we help you with signage? Can we do this? Can oh, wow. we do this? Do we want to? Do you need any invoice books? We've got invoice books. We can give them to you. And I'm thinking, here is a country. Um, this is Northern Ireland we're talking about. And um, 
There are many people there. You drive around, you'll see they have a couple of five or six cars in their yard, parked there with a sign, we sell cars, we do this. Yeah. There's none of this issue that we're hearing you talk about you Wendy, know people you. being harassed yeah thank you so much for that really really do appreciate it okay. uh really do appreciate that leon i would imagine if the government went up to any of let's say the informal traders in the city of johannes and we're like hey let's help you get you into a brick and mortar structure we'll give you some signage we'll give you some electricity we'll give you a phone and a tablet we'll give you a pos we'll give you all of these sorts of things that there's an immediate distrust that exists between the informal trader and the government in that instance, based on the history. Yes, uh, one of my best friends and colleagues is, is um, uh, Rumbi Kangaro, who's from the African Chamber of Hawkers and Informal Businesses, Archib, and she runs these very informal businesses, and she outsources stuff that people make things that are sold on the street corner and her little village market and so on, and <clears throat> it's inspirational. So I want to say about the future, our young people are inspirational. The energy is is amazing. However, the problem is that they are exactly that. The Joburg City Council did come and offer them to help them. And what did they do? They herded them into markets in parking garages and, you know, created these so-called informal markets. Well, it's a contradiction in terms of it's mm. a market, it's not informal. It's so they were quite right. Once they got documented, once the council knew who they were and had written them down, they were able to herd them like sheep into markets where they could not trade viably. But let me we talk about the street. I want to talk about people homes, which Wendy mentioned in the UK, where people run businesses at home. Over here we have these zoning laws, another apartheid dinosaur. And what happens is that people who are running backyard operations, fixing cars, making burglar bars, doing training, never mind spaza shops, there's a lot more to uh, home businesses. Uh, uh, and th they are all banned by the zoning laws. Now, they ignore the zoning laws, but that's not the end of the matter because then the police come and collect bribes and mm. say, you are operating illegally and if you want me to leave you, this is the price you pay. Yeah. So you've got to remove these, archaic. frankly, idiotic, archaic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't like playing the apartheid card, yeah. but this is a time when we must. This is apartheid dinosaurs living in our midst. Let's have a listen at some of your WhatsApp voice notes. Oliver, um, there's something that I've been observing when it comes to the funding of small business, especially by public institutions, that there is sort of a middleman uh, that must assist you in order for your business plan to even have someone to look at. And these middlemen are very, very expensive. And if you really, really want your business plan to be looked at, you cannot just take it and go straight yourself. You have to get this middleman to sit with you and help you craft it. And they're actually going to ensure that it goes to the desk of someone. And I really, really think that it, it really borders on the line of corruption, come to think of it. And it's the reason that uh, some people, few people are able to succeed and get funding from institutions like the IDC. I'm the one also who wants to get funding and I must pay about 20,000 rand to get this middleman to craft me a business plan that is, will stand uh, the test of time. Thanks, Bongi.
Thank you so much for that. Uh, Good morning. Morning. I find your topic extremely um, interesting and close to my heart because I am a small business owner of um, where I supply services such as human resources management, payroll services, um, employee relations, compliance, etc. And my specific target market is very small businesses that cannot afford to have a full-time human resources person in their business because obviously that would be costly to them. So I find this, you know, very, very extremely relatable because there's so many businesses that are not compliant, uh, not because they don't want to or they don't know any better, but because they cannot afford to have you know those processes done um and 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 i i've helped a few businesses and i do still assist um a few a few uh, small very small companies and you know this is this is really significant in helping small businesses to really participate actively in our economy thank you I want to give you the last word, Kekeleto. We have 30 seconds. Thank you so much. Um, I was just going to say that um, the state does enable corruption, as the other person was saying, because it is them that says you need to have agencies and they must get rid of that. But I also wanted to say that the state must provide what we call support service vouchers. I'm just listening to this listener and I'm thinking if she was actually uh, a supplier to the state and she would then, you know, the state would then provide vouchers to entrepreneurs to then be able to go to her business All and, right, yeah. and say, um, you provide HR services, I'm, I'm coming to claim my voucher and you can, you know, sort out my, my, my services for... for in our whatever, but yeah, we need to support entrepreneurs differently. Uh, Leon, Kekeletso, and Crystal, thank you so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. I hope we can continue this conversation on another day. This is a critically important conversation. And ideas such as support service vouchers and those mechanisms are something we need to pick up and talk about. It's operational capacity and value to small businesses. Really do appreciate it. To all the calls and voice notes, really do love it.